<笑>鬼岛之音 ，Ghost Island Media。Hey guys, it's Emily Y. Wu here. Today we have an interview with the general manager of a really exciting basketball team here in Taiwan. I'll hand it over to JR soon to tell you why we're really excited about the new professional basketball scene here. The guest today, James Mao, he used to play for Taiwan's national team, and his roster right now at the new Taipei Kings this year includes Joseph Lin, that's NBA player Jeremy Lin's brother, and Quincy Davis, a fan favorite, a LA native who's now a Taiwanese citizen. You might have heard that Dwight Howard. Formerly of the LA Lakers, now plays in Taiwan. We're hoping that players like him will bring more star powers from the NBA in the near future. The basketball season started in Taiwan, so if you're here, go catch a game or two during the holidays. And here, an interview with James Mao from before the season. It was a dry spell for about twenty years. No professional level, dribbling, faking, traveling, fouling, technical fouling, air balls, jump shots, or slam dunks. From around the millennium to about 2020, there was no fully professional basketball league in Taiwan. Then came the Plus League, established in 2020 with four founding teams: the Fubon Braves, the Taoyuan Pilots, the Shinju JKO Lioneers. And the Formosa Taishin Dreamers. Last year, the league added the Gaosheng Steelers and the new Taipei Kings. Now six in all. And last year, another professional basketball league was established in Taiwan, the T1 League, bringing along with it six teams. It's still tough going. The concept of league play is to deepen and broaden a community's sense of ownership with its home teams, community empowerment. The pro level is sports at the highest level of skill and strategy, but Taiwan's pro basketball scene has been fits and starts. In large part, the issues come down to sustainability. In basketballs, it's about attraction. Audience, entertainment, education, athletic talent, and certainly funding. The love of the game, basketball in this case, and its survival, is a global issue. And this is the Taiwan Take. I'm your host, J.R. Wu. We are privileged to have the general manager of the new Taipei Kings. Xinbei Guowang, one of the newest basketball teams in Taiwan, only established last year, join us today. There's no reason why Taiwan basketball can't be as good as Japan or Korea or China, but it comes down to a lot of people investing a lot of time and energy and also resources to help these players improve. James Mao, he can talk the walk. He's six five in height and formerly. A pro player for Taiwan's national basketball team. Quote: The new Taipei Kings leadership team believe that success comes on and off the court. They are building a new team to represent the 29 districts and 4.1 million people of New Taipei City. End quote. That quote is from the international design firm that rebranded the image of. 
the Premier League. That's English football, arguably the most iconic and best-known sports league in the world. New Taipei Kings engaged the same firm called Design Studio to create the exciting energy off the court that is symbolized by the team's unmistakable imperial branding. On the court, well, let's just tease here that the team has gone full court press with Baron Davis, Derek Fisher, James Harden, Tyrese Halliburton, Mo Bamba, and other NBA greats. Welcome to the show, James. Thank you, Jar, and hi to all the listeners of the Taiwan Take. Glad to be here and able to share our story and our angle about Taiwan basketball. Wow. Those NBA players, James, let's just start there. Yeah. How'd you meet them all and get scrimmage games going on in L.A. for the new Taipei Kings? Yeah, I mean, that's a crazy story. It's very spontaneous. Before we went out to L.A., we were planning, talking about it all year. Actually, even before the year. 2022 we're talking about? Yeah, we were talking about it even before we played our first game, you know, just talking with ownership about uh, we wanted to do something different with this team, and part of it was giving the players experience outside of Taiwan. So we have talked about that from day one, but throughout the season, there was a lot of work, so we didn't really think about if this trip would happen. So uh, obviously not a lot of planning went into it, but it was really, uh, I think it was our CEO, Phil. He had a lot of connections. He's in the tech, uh, has a lot of startups in the U.S. So through his connections in L.A., we we got one trainer with Drew Hanlon, and then he started introducing people. Baron Davis helped introduce. So it went from just one training to multiple training and multiple scrimmages and even being able to play in the Drew League, which that was a really good experience for our players. Oh, and now hang on. So we're talking about Phil Chen, CEO of New Taipei Kings. He's that real tall guy, looks bookish with glasses and can also shoot. He can also play, yeah. He's a little bit shorter than me, but he's always had a passion <laughs> for basketball. He is very physical when he plays, but it's really just the collective thing, I think, through the whole Wong family. They really wanted to do something together collectively. We're talking about Wong. Gosh, there's a lot of Wongs like Smiths. Who are these? Yeah. Well, I mean, the Wong family is probably one of the top two or three families, like big family groups in Taiwan. Their grandfather uh, really started it and has from Tangan Hospital to HTC to Formosa Plastics to, I guess, our owner. His company is more in the U.S., JM Eagle. Uh, so there's a lot of history behind this family. And Wait a minute, you're not talking about Wang Yongqing. Wang Yongqing, Oh, yes. right, that yes, one. Wang Yongqing, yes. So a lot of history, a lot of success, and also a lot of uh, philanthropists and being able to give back. And this was something they wanted to do collectively as a family, as all of them have their own companies and businesses, but this was really something that even down to the third generation that they could all work on. So do I have it right, this trip to L.A., how many of you all went and you all stayed the whole time? And obviously I'm getting this from a really good cut of an 18-minute <laughs> video yes. on YouTube that you can just find. Yeah, we went there for about two weeks. We only brought four players this trip because of time and also just not knowing uh, what we were getting ourselves into. So it was more of a test run and trial run for us, but we stayed there for the whole two weeks. Every day was jam-packed with training, with games, with a lot of stuff. So 
definitely moving forward, we would love to bring the whole team so that we could play in actual uh, games because even this trip, we had only four players. So we, when we wanted to play in some scrimmages, it was either me or Phil that had to get on the court and play. <laughs> and that's not a good look right now. Oh, man, you guys are so old. <laughs> yeah, we definitely are old, yeah. I thought what was really fun, and I think some of our listeners might be interested, VBL. You guys mm. scrimmage with them, right? Yeah. Tell us about that one. The VBL is just, I mean. What does it stand for? It's the Venice Beach League. So it's played out right on Venice Beach, uh, wow. the basketball court there. The atmosphere was just crazy. I mean, we had a ton of support of Kings fans at that game too. But really, it's more about the culture of basketball. It's playground basketball. It's a lot of showboating, a lot of trash talking, a lot of people on the sides just really hyping up the game. So it was just really entertainment. And that is absolutely nothing you would see here in Taiwan. I think obviously culture has to do with it, but just basketball in general just has such a, a long history. And, you know, streetball, there's a lot of hype and a lot of, I think a lot of things that translated from streetball even to the NBA. Recently, there was a documentary out about M1 and how a lot of that kind of translated to even NBA players being able to show off a little bit more, just their passing and skills. But I think streetball really has has a really important place in just basketball in general. Okay, I'm going to show my age. Is that kind of like Harlem Globetrotters, that kind of showboating? Glo- uh, I would say a little bit. I think N1 was kind of after the Globetrotters. It was not as showy. I mean, they were still played, but it is definitely the closest to uh, the Harlem Globetrotters. But there was actually players from and one that actually went into the NBA. I, I guess one of them, uh, Rafer Austin, his name was Skip to my Lou, if people followed uh, and one back then. But he actually translated from streetball to the NBA. And so that was really big for streetball because there's a lot of good basketball players, but is there the opportunity to be able to transition to the pros? You all, you're coming on two years old, new Taipei Kings. Um, you joined Plus League, not T1 League. How come? Well, actually, there was no T1 league when we joined. So it was just the Plus League. Uh, there were four teams. I believe what really started was just the family having interest in it and talking to the commissioner, uh, Blackie Chen, who's you know also close with the Wong family. So you know, expressed their interest in putting together a team and just went through the process, applied for it, went through everything that the league required to check off the boxes. And it just got through. With the blink of a eye, we just got through and we just... We started, I guess, last summer, so it's been only been about a year, and we look back on this year and just are amazed at kind of where we've got in just one year. But we look forward to just continuing to build on it and get better and better each year. Do you have some stats off the top of your head? First win or how many scores or three-pointers or however way it's measured up in basketball? Well, I mean, we broke a lot of records this year because it's only the second year of the league, so... There was records being broken every few games, you know, more more three-pointers or most rebounds by import or the most points by a local or just stuff like that. There's just tons of records. And I think as the league continues for years and years, those records won't be as easy to break. But uh, in the first years, we have that advantage. Tell us a little bit about your team, the people. For especially our listeners who actually aren't familiar with local, import, Mm -hmm. all of these terms. Yeah, so I guess basically you have your coaching staff. The coaching staff can go four, five, six coaches. You have your head coach. You have a few assistant coaches. You have a strength trainer. You have a physical trainer. You have 
uh, team manager. This year we had around six because we had a few uh, assistant coaches that take on scouting for different teams. They do data analytics for each team. So when it gets to the professional level, you can have an advantage if you're detailed in scouting and you know looking at film and all that. So that's a pretty norm right now with professional basketball. From the team side, uh, we have a mix of locals. We have uh, what we call like Hawaii or like ABCs, which they didn't get a Taiwan passport till after the age of 16. Uh, that's kind of how FIBA regulates if you are a local or not. FIBA is the International Basketball Association, the equivalent of FIFA for soccer, yeah? Yes, exactly. So we have a mix of locals, ABC players. We have uh, a student-athlete position where guys that graduated from college, even if they're not Taiwanese, we have one roster spot for that on each team. And then we have import spots, which are basically uh, foreigners, whether they're from America, from Europe. And you can have three per team. This year, the rule is that each game you can only uh, have two suit up. So you can pick, but it kind of prevents, you know, in the case that one gets injured or sick, that you only have one import. So you have three, but you can only suit up two each game. Now, hang on. Why is there a distinction on import versus local? Well, really, uh, I guess in Asia, there's always been import players because there is still a big gap in just talent and skill, especially from uh, these players that have played in the NBA or played in Europe. When you get to Europe, I don't believe that all the leagues have import restrictions, but definitely in Asia, whether it's Japan, Korea, uh, Philippines, Taiwan, because there's a big advantage when you have guys who have played at a high level like the NBA. So I was reading that sometimes there are these rules is it actually helps grow the local players when they're up against some of the best of the best. And in your time in LA, thanks to your video, Drew Hanlon was saying when he was going through some of the practice motions and repetitions with your team, he was saying building their strength. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're just talking about yeah. physical strength. Physical strength. Yeah, and then one of your players was also saying uh, the coaches that they had over there, I think it was related to Phil, the assistant coach for the uh, Lakers, Lakers. Yeah. Um, he was saying that instead of going just straight line to the basket and shooting, mm -hmm. to zig and zag yeah, and yeah. Uh, move the ball in different ways. Yeah. So that's what uh, local import dynamics are here, huh? Yeah, absolutely. They bring a high level of skill and talent, but when you get used to playing against them, whether in practice or games, uh, ultimately it elevates the talent of your local players. So also we kind of restrict it to two per game because you still want to have your locals have enough opportunity to play and improve, especially in-game. So it's a little bit about finding the right mix of imports and locals where the locals can improve, but also they have time on the court. Because if you have three or four imports, then uh, it really minimizes the amount of time that the locals will have on the court. Now, you were talking about a heck of a lot of coaches. Tell us about your head coach, Ryan Marchand. Yeah, Ryan. He has his own Twitter feed. It looks he, pretty good. He said he was going to start an OnlyFans, so I don't know. Maybe <laughs> not. But, but he's, uh, Ryan, yeah, he's a great coach. He's in his second year with us. Last year was his first year. We went through a long interview process with him and, and just discussion about him being suitable for you know, us as a first-year coach. But Really, that was, I guess that goes back to the vision of the team from when we started that we always wanted to 
provide something different with this team in terms of training, uh, even rehab, recovery. I think from the head coach, that's where it starts in terms of the training. And he had a, a lot of experience in either the NBA or the G League, uh, especially in player development, where we think that Taiwan's local players need to improve a lot. So skill level ultimately will translate to better team performance and then, I guess, better performance on the international stage. So having him come in, he set the tone and did a lot of things different than what Taiwan does. But that's exactly what we wanted to see. We wanted to have new ways of training, new concepts, just a new way of looking at basketball. And I think he did a great job in year one of doing that. And we look forward to him continuing to doing that in year two with us. I'll be honest, I saw him say on one of the many YouTube videos that new Taipei Kings have, um, he said to the team, I think it was before a game, play for 48 minutes, not just for 12. Mm -hmm. And I had to look that up. I mean, (laughs) 48 minutes, 12 minutes, what's that? Yeah, I mean, that's really just because each quarter is 12 minutes. And sometimes, you know, we didn't finish out the half or didn't finish out the quarter as well. And obviously, if we lose, we didn't finish out the game right. So what he means is just to not have any let up throughout the whole four quarters through 48 minutes that you're still playing at a high level, competing at, you know, the highest level each and every minute that you're on the court. When does the new season start and what's your expectations for it from your point of view, I guess, as general manager, which would be different from Phil's, which would be different from Ryan's? Yeah, um, we start our season uh, for the Kings. Our first game is on November the 12th in Xinjiang Stadium. Uh, That'll be our first game. It'll be at home for us. Our goal this year is just to be better, just be better than last year. I haven't set too many goals yet to the team, but, you know, last year we made the playoffs. So uh, I would say immediate goal would be to make it to the finals and, you know, take it from there. For me as a general manager, because I'm not only uh, handling the team, I'm also overseeing the, the operations too. So everything from our sales to our marketing to you know, our social media, everything is still under kind of my supervision per se. We have a great team of young, energetic, and passionate team that they do a great job in their individual department. And me and Phil just kind of oversee that as well. Uh, so a lot of things that I'm I don't know or I don't want to make a decision on, I'll pass it to Phil to make a decision. (laughs) Pass up the buck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The team's distinctive yellow color and crown, um, I think one of your hashtags is crown the city. What is that? Well, this, uh, so this was done by, actually, I mean, if we go back to the team name of the Kings, uh, it was really a family discussion on, you know, what name we wanted. I don't know if it was because of the family name Wong, but the Kings was just a fit name, like in terms of being something different. It was very symbolic. It was also very uh, strong and a different name than the teams in the other league. And then our colorway was definitely because of in the design studio. They really looked at all the colors of each team, kind of found where we could fit in that would create the most separation. And then with the Kings, you know, the crown was just very symbolic. And I think it was a great logo for us, simple, direct, and still strong. But for us, crowning the city, you know, it was our first year slogan. It kind of like Nike's Just Do It. It's going to be our slogan for the time being because this team was built for the city. You know, and we want to crown the city instead of saying we are Kings as a team, we're actually putting the crown on the city, you know. So that is the message we wanted to portray is, Uh, This team is for you, and we're going to do our best to 
make the city proud and also help the city in uh, whether it's through school visits, through community service, or through just providing opportunities for people in New Taipei City. So sort of play on words, but perhaps not since King in the Chinese character is Wang, as in your name, Xingbei Guo Wang. And I saw that design studio, they were explaining a uh, part of the yellow color is because a king, Chinese emperor, mm-hmm. wears yellow. Royalty. Yes, royal colors. But I mean, obviously another color we're thinking is purple, but there's another team in the league that's uh, the Lioneers that have purple. So it was really the yellow was the most suitable in terms of matching with the kings, but also just being able to be distinctive from the other teams. Now going off court, and also going to some of your other duties that you have that's outside of the court. The marketing, the buzz, the branding. YouTube is a big part of it, it seems. And mm-hmm. also you guys are like on a menu on Just Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Who is masterminding these strategies? And does it have anything to do with the age of the internet? Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely think so. Also, I think our team has done a great job. But I also want to say the family has really put a lot of energy and thought into this because even as owners, we had and we continue to have weekly, monthly discussions, especially with the kids of the Wong family, the third generation. A lot of them are involved in our merchandise design, our marketing ideas, and our social media things. So we have a great team of young guys that really love basketball, but uh, they also have a mix of you know either growing up in the States or watching NBA from a young age. So they knew exactly what we wanted to do. And whenever I try to portray like this is the direction we're trying to head, it's very easily communicated to our staff. Most of them all speak English to some extent. So our team is very international. But, you know, from day one, we say we want to do something different. So everything we're doing from social media to marketing to YouTube, I think we've set the bar in this first year. And I would say some teams are copying us now. <laughs> I think you guys have a winning formula, possibly. Issues. James, from the start, we were looking at basketball as fits and starts. Give us your sense of where you have seen basketball come from for Taiwan and where it may be going to and whether it's sustainable. Yeah, it's a great question. Professional basketball, yeah. I mean. Yes. Um, I moved here 15 years ago. So when I played, uh, the league was called the SBL. It's called the Super Basketball League. Uh, it really was a semi-pro league, I would say. There was no home court. Everyone played in the same gym. There were seven teams. So on a given day, on the weekend, you had two teams play at 3 p.m. And the next two teams play at 5 p.m. And the next play at 7. So there was no home court, no away court. So in terms of all the marketing and everything that you can do to build a home crowd or home fan base, uh, it wasn't doable then, you know, and obviously we didn't have as many imports. I think the level of play was high, but it was just local players really. So throughout these years, it's kind of been up and down, um, but it's still been the same kind of, I guess, structure. Then came the, uh, the Plus League. And so when the Plus League, they really said, we want to make a professional league where each team kind of represents a city. We're not going to have all the teams in Taipei. So, you know, we have teams down in Kaohsiung now and Xinzhou. And I think each team has done a great job of building that home fan base and also just trying to bring in the entertainment aspect to each team. So when you come in the, to watch a game now, it's close to an NBA game. You're obviously not to the scale, but we have 
pregame shows. We have timeouts where we're you know giving out merchandise. We have cheerleaders. We have different graphics and different music. The hosts, the DJs. It's just a lot of entertainment. And last year there was some restrictions because of COVID with being able to eat and drink in the stadium. But we know that that's a big part of enjoying a very casual outing and watching a sporting event. So I think each team will try to improve on this year as they open up to be able to have have a drink, have a beer, have a hot dog or something while you're watching a game, especially because the games are two, three hours long. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's come a long way. I think right now with six teams, just because of, I guess, the market uh, for each city, I think that Taiwan could get up to maybe eight teams or maybe at max 10 teams in total. Right now, there's obviously two leagues and then the SBL, which is a semi-pro league. So it's a little bit... It's crowded. A little bit, yeah, it's a little bit too crowded right now. So it is definitely, I think it's letting a lot of the fan base be kind of, I guess there's a lot of separation in it. So obviously moving forward, I think this has to be something that's changed for it to continue to grow at the pace it did this year. But uh, I think there's a lot of hope for it because I think each team has done a good job. I think the level of play has come up. The marketing is good and each game is providing that entertainment aspect. So is it sustainable? I don't know, but I hope so because this is great for Taiwan basketball. This is great for Taiwan in general, just providing a lot of opportunities that didn't used to be there for basketball in general. How do you map out when you all go internationally, whether it's your team or one of the league's teams? Yeah, so this year there was actually something great that happened that our league actually signed with kind of a Asia tournament league, which is called the EASL, East Asia Sports League. And that incorporated the championships teams from Japan, from Korea, from Philippines. And the winning team, I guess the championship team from each season will play in a kind of international tournament with the champions from each of these countries. So that's really big for being able to, to grow the league outside of Taiwan, become more international, but just elevating the play for these you know, locals who get to play at such a high-level tournament, especially if you become the championship of our league. E-A-S-L. Yes. When is that going to happen, the final? Or- it was supposed to happen this year. It's kind of like a Champions League. So while we're playing in our own league during the weekday, you'll fly to Japan or fly to Korea, or they'll fly here and play. So it's kind of intertwined with your own local league, but there will be a kind of like a Champions League champion that comes out. And I believe this year it got canceled because of covid because of obviously the quarantine and all of that, but I believe uh, nature will continue. Now, you played under Chinese Taipei, that's another way of saying Taiwan's national team. In 2013, there was that awesome win to get the Chinese Taipei team into the semifinals. It was Taiwan versus China. Mm-hmm. Were you in that game? I wasn't. I had already uh, retired then. I, Darn. I, yeah, I retired. But actually, because at that time we had a player, uh, his name is Quincy Davis, which there's been a lot of discussion about him lately. But he basically gave up his U.S. citizenship and became a Taiwan national. And so he played a big part in that game and being able to beat China. But because I'm actually what we consider ABC, so I, I got my passport after uh the age of 16. So within the FIBA rules, you can only have one of these type of players play. So it was either me or Quincy Davis. And obviously, Quincy that Davis. was the better choice. <laughs> 
And it was an amazing game for our listeners. Final victory was 96 to 78. And that was only in the second half that I think Chinese Taipei came back. In the first half, China was up Mm -hmm. by a heck of a lot of points. Lynn Sanity, sir. We're 10 years out from it. Where were you then? What did you think then? Well, insanity actually. Uh, what is it? Insanity. You mean Jeremy Lin? Oh right, yeah, right, yeah. Jeremy Lin. Okay, Jeremy Lin. Actually, was funny is he was in China in Guangzhou and he was gonna play for the one of the CBA teams there. And uh, what year are we in now? I think it was. It was right before insanity, so I don't really remember the year, but it was during the NBA lockout. So it was the NBA lockout, and uh, a lot of the players went overseas and. Jeremy had went to Guangzhou to play. That year, our team, which was Puyuan, we were the champion for our SBL league. And so we got invited to play in this. It was similar to the EASL. So there was a champion team from Japan, from Korea, from China. And it was four teams, and we played in that. And that was the first time I played against him. We ended up winning that tournament. Meaning your team Our won team against won his team. This yeah. is about 2011, 2012 time, if it, you're talking about the lockout. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, around that time. So we won that tournament and ended up having like the top five players of that tournament. And I was one of them and he was one of them. That was when I was actually good. So I was, <laughs> I was pretty good then. Played and got the top five of the tournament. He got the MVP. Jeremy got the MVP of that tournament. And then... Right after that, we started chatting and saying, oh, he said he was going to come to Taiwan to train and stuff like that. So when he came, then I you know, started to train with him a little bit here in Taiwan. And we just kind of kept in contact through the years when he was with the Rockets. I grew up in Houston, went back and played some pickup with him in Houston at the Toyota Center. And then just the years that he would come out here, we would sometimes play together and just had a little bit of a relationship with him just from basketball since that time. But when insanity happened, I believe I was playing, or maybe I was just on the verge of retiring. I just remember Taiwan was going crazy. I think there was a watch party at one of the malls where I went, and they invited me to just kind of get on stage and watch and talk about just Jeremy. And I was like, I just, I feel like I just played against him like you know a year or so ago, which really was the case. And now he's you know an international superstar, and he was playing out of his mind and. It was really crazy because I think he has a documentary out lately. I think he talks about yep. like just how crazy of a time it was. He has a a strong Christianity faith. And he feels like even some of those things that happened, like it was just really through uh, the work of God. You know, it was outside of his ability or realm. Like it was just crazy. So Taiwan was really crazy during that time. And I think even to now, I talked to him last year, but when we started, I said, hey, Jeremy, if you want to come to Taiwan, remember... I have a team now, so he said, all right. But I didn't bug him this year because I know he's still trying to play in the CBA. But I think if he were to come to Taiwan, there would still be a lot of support and love for him. Now, I'm going to ask a question, and it's not specific for Jeremy Lin. Um, It's still more issues-oriented. And this goes to this weakness, if you will, of Taiwan sustaining professional sport. Jeremy Lin signed elsewhere this year, a bigger market possibly a more lucrative deal. And I don't just mean money, because in interviews that he's given this year to reflect on Linsanity 10 years later, right, he said one of the takeaways was that 
he kind of regretted he didn't use the platform he had back then, all that celebrity, if you want to call it, to voice out Asian-American issues mm. back at that time. Yeah. So my question to you right now is, you know, this bigger platform to grow and influence the love of the game, right, basketball, for the better, how does Taiwan keep or attract that kind of talent? Uh, I think it's gradual. You know, I think even now the league, the players' salaries are a lot higher than when I played. I would say at least five times higher. So, you know, it's. I think we're competitive now, but it's still a little bit of a gap. Obviously, we're very early in this league. It really comes down to, you know, I think as each team, uh, the owners, you know, we want to see the growth of Taiwan basketball. So we're willing to invest more and spend more to be able to keep players but there's got to be, I guess, room for improvement in terms of the revenue side. Because at the end of the day, we want to be sustainable. Obviously, we would like to be profitable. But as I've been watching a, a documentary on the Lakers, when Jerry Buss took over the team, they weren't profitable. You know, So it took time to build it up. Uh, we're very early. But as the league grows, uh, obviously, salaries will increase. You'll be able to attract you know, some of the better players that are playing in, in the CBA now. Uh, they will ultimately love to come back home uh, and play when the time is right, uh, including Jeremy. You know, I, I think for him, it's not only about the salary, it's also the level of competition, the market and everything. So there's still a gap in the talent, I would say, not only from Taiwan to China, but even to Japan and Korea. So there's room for improvement, but I think uh, there's an opportunity to get to that. You know, there's no reason why Taiwan basketball can't be as good as Japan or Korea or China, but it comes down to a lot of people investing a lot of time and energy and also resources to help these players improve. So what do you do when you're not playing basketball, James? I haven't played basketball in, I think, a year, so I do a lot while I'm not playing. <laughs> but really, for me, this was something that I didn't really think about coming back into basketball just because... You know, previously, as I said, the, the league, the structure wasn't, I didn't see much hope for it. But when the Plus League came out last year and I helped do a little bit of English commentary at the games and I was just sitting at the games and like, wow, this is totally different than when I played. And I, I saw a lot of hope for it. So when they asked me last year, I was like, sure, it's a no brainer. I would love to help and give back to basketball. But before that, I didn't really think about it. So. I had started some different businesses in the restaurant, in the F&B field, but that's something I do kind of spend a little bit of time on. It's a passion, but that is probably what I spend most of my time on, aside from the Kings and then also my family. I just have a newborn son. He's almost two next week, so he's taking up a lot of my time lately. As he should. Yeah. <laughs> Food. Gosh. Tacos, I heard? I have tacos. Uh, it's called Twinkies Tacos. Uh, we had our chef. He was a Mexican chef from L.A. We're in our year seven now, so it's oh. been it's been really good. I feel like we're more Tex-Mex now than kind of L.A. street tacos. But when we first opened it, it was really just ABCs or it was foreigners eating. But over the years, like Taiwan uh, locals have started to like appreciate tacos and like tacos. And you start to see it even like in the, the 7-11s or family where you see these wraps and stuff. So I think Taiwan... Uh, has started to see some increase in Mexican food. And, and so that's been sustainable and good for us. A pretty profitable business for such a small size, but that was the first one. And then we recently brought in a fried chicken spot that was 
kind of a Nashville style hot chicken. Wow. Uh, it's called Hottie's Fried Chicken, and and that was from L.A. <laughs> uh, they have about four uh, locations in L.A. I think they're expanding, and we just we knew the owners, and we just talked about bringing it. There was nothing like that here yet, and we're going on around a year now, so it's very new for us, but it's been good. Do you do food trucks? We've looked into it in the past for uh, especially for Twinkies tacos, but. Yeah. There's different regulations. It's not like the U.S. where you can just have tons of food trucks and park. You know, there's not a lot of room right on the streets, and so it's not as easy. But we did look at it for hotties because we were thinking we can park that outside of the Shinzon Stadium, <laughs> especially because this year we couldn't sell food inside the stadium. So we were like, "Hey, I think we can make a killing if we just set it up right outside the stadium." But that is something uh, that would be fun because I'm from Texas and went to school in Austin, and Austin is kind of where all the food trucks like. Started, I feel like, and so I love that atmosphere for sure. Hotties and Twinkies. Yeah, we're gonna kill the uh, kill <sighs> the the street vendors. I'm hungry scene, but... <laughs> now. Um, right, I do also have another issues question to ask you, James. I think your sense of it all, particularly you're vested in it since you're a pro player, uh, formerly. Sometimes sports and politics come together saying it in a very diplomatic way, i.e. American football, taking the knee. Mm -hmm. When you see the repercussions that come out when sports and politics collide, what do you think um, and how do you view it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a big topic, but I, I would just say to kind of sum it up, I feel like the good thing about sports is it's inclusive, right? As a team, you know, we we love every person regardless of their their background, their race. And so in terms of politics, I think, you know, with sports these past few years, you see a lot of discussions with whether it's race or gender or, you know, background, et cetera. But at the end of the day, sports is about sports and doesn't matter about, you know, everything else. It's very inclusive, especially as a team. So you know, even this year, as we have this ongoing topic lately about Quincy Davis, you know, he was born in the U.S., but he decided to give up his U.S. passport. And so there's discussion about it. And I think ultimately, at the end of the day, it's going to help open up bridges for, you know, other topics and other other things that uh, include different races and different backgrounds, different genders. So I think it's good. You know, sports is, that's what it is. Sports is supposed to be where everyone can come together. And I continue to believe that that will happen community empowerment. Absolutely. Absolutely. What did I not ask or what else about New Taipei Kings our listeners definitely need to know? And can you say it in Spanish? In Spanish. <laughs> Since you no grew bueno, up in Texas. No bueno. <laughs> um, Last word, sir. The Kings. I would say, you know, our vision is to continue to push the needle. We're trying to do things different because ultimately with different ideas and different uh, ways of doing things, then you'll see change from it. So we ultimately want to provide this opportunity for change so that Taiwan basketball continue to be better. So whether it's from the style of play, from our marketing, from you know how we are operating these games, everything we're trying to do is different because when you conform and do the same thing, then there's less change that happens. So uh, we'll continue to push out different things, hopefully, Everyone can take a look at our Instagram, New Taipei Kings. Take a look at our YouTube. 
we're really trying to do something different with this team that ultimately helps Taiwan basketball be better. James Mao, General Manager, Xingbei Guo Wang. It's so good to talk to you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm J.R. Wu, and this is The Taiwan Take. This is a Ghost Island Media production recorded in Taipei, Taiwan. Producer, Emily Y. Wu. Research and production assistant, Gerald Williams. Editing also by Gerald and Emily. Thanks for listening.